Thank you, Steve. Well, good morning. Looks like we have no wind and it's warm, so we will move fast. <laughs> I can hear the motorcycle running. When, when we, again, I repeat this each time, whenever you hear a message, whenever you uh, hear a song, I don't know, the lyrics of those songs were incredible, but every time you hear a message or a song, it's always intended, once again, to draw us closer into union with God, our relationship become deeper, more real, more personal, or it's to remove something that is an obstacle. Sometimes there is distractions, and, and the distractions can basically hinder us. Uh, I, my wife got me for Christmas, because she knows I'm always still a, a boy at heart. She got me this little uh, helicopter that's a remote, and I meant to bring it. I ran off without it. I was going to just have it flying around here uh, while I spoke and uh, show you what distractions can do. And they can get down pretty low to your head here. But the other thing is uh, sometimes you hear nuggets, and when you hear little nuggets that are uh, something like, why didn't anybody ever tell me that before? And I, we had one of these happen uh, this last week. Uh, uh, Thursday night, St. Pat's night, I was sitting with Adam Haggerty and another friend, and, uh, and we were talking about uh, being in the water in the ocean and how fun it is to go down. And sometimes when it's not too deep, you don't even need gear. You can just hold your breath and go down. And Adam Haggerty says, I just got something wrong with me. I can't do that. And he said, I just finally had to quit going. Like when I got into the pool and I went down to get a quarter and I'd get down very far, my ears would just, just pop almost and he'd hurt like crazy. And so I'd endure the last few minutes to go down there. But after a while, I just quit. And I said, Adam, do you know that you, can, you don't have to quit? Do you know that when uh, you go down t 12 feet, that's an, uh, a pressure, an atmospheric pressure, you can just simply blow and it'll reset you for another 12 feet and then you can blow you can go down 40 45 feet and he looked at me with this just part of it was he was just so disgusted that he went his whole life and he quit going to the bottom of the pool because nobody told him this and I remember the same thing in my life I remember when I went through my scuba diving class and they told me this and I said it can't be true because I did the same thing I'd I'd want to be when somebody dropped something in the lake. I wanted to be the one with dove down there, but I go down and, oh, I had to go back up. And all it takes is just to equalize, and then you can go down further. So if you get nothing from today and you get that, you walked out with something. <laughs> and, uh, and the reason I share that is when we talk about finances and, and things in the Scripture, there are principles, and sometimes the principles are so basic that we say, why didn't somebody tell me this? I wish I'd have heard this years and years ago. And, and dealing with money, uh, there's, everybody has an opinion on what you're supposed to do. And God gives us some really clear advice. The thing I want you to understand, though, is if you read just the suggestions in the Bible and the things that he says, these are practical things, and you still don't read it through the eyes of a new covenant, where the eyes of a new covenant simply mean that the life of Christ possessing your life lives in you and wants to carry out those principles, you will end up making these financial things, rules and laws and things too. And they will, they will arouse the very power of sin in you. So 
when you hear today, you're going to hear a lot of principles on money. Uh, we are, we're going to cover uh, work, laziness, uh, overwork, savings, investing, spending, all in 30 minutes. So, as you know, you're going to have little teeny nuggets of blowing your nose and holding your breath and stuff like that. And if you walk out with a couple of them, great. Uh, we will go ahead and look at that. I, I want to remind you in Second Chronicles, or First Chronicles 29, when David got to the end of his life and he was building the temple, and he said, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the victory and the majesty and the glory. Indeed, everything in the heavens and on the earth are yours. And it lies in your power to strengthen people and to make people great or not. And then we look at these gifts that we were able to bring before you to build your house. And who am I and who are my people that we have been able to give so generously as we have? Because haven't we just snuck over and took from your right hand and gave it to your left hand? Do we not know that just everything belongs to you anyway? And, and we started uh, a few weeks ago when I started talking about this. Is I think we have to remember, our, remember this main thing is that God owns it all. And we even talked about if, if you don't b believe it, it doesn't make any difference. He still owns it. And sometimes you'll find that out. And the blessedness of just possessing nothing. And I want to I wanna clear up a, a, a misunderstanding because I had a dear friend of mine that we were walking along. He and his wife were going along. And he said, oh, I've still got a whole bunch more things I've got to give away now that, so I'll possess nothing. And I said, is that what you heard me say? And he said, yeah. I said, well, possessing nothing doesn't mean you necessarily have to give it away. All it means is God wants you to be a steward of that. And so if, if I give it all away and God asks me to be a steward and I give it all uh, away to Nick, God may not have asked Nick to be the steward of what I have. All he basically wants me to do is, is be a steward and hold it loosely. And I had an illustration that I've alluded to some of you. I've talked to some of you about this illustration. I may have even gave it publicly here last week, and I don't remember. Uh, that will happen quite, re you know, quite a lot lately. But I went, my wife and I went with a, a friend of mine down to Cabos, down below San Diego. And he, he brought us with him, and there was a very, very wealthy, wealthy man that invited him and he said just you can bring a couple come down here and everything's on me so we get down and we check into the room and in the room uh, we hear a knock on the door and there's a native that comes there and he opens the door and in kind of broken uh, English a little mixed Spanish he says uh, I'm Reuben I am Reuben I said Reuben okay and he says I am here whatever you might want I have for you and the, the background of Reuben was that this wealthy man had uh, liked the character of Reuben. He liked that he seemed like an honest man. So he took Reuben and he put him in his quarters, uh, which the quarters were, uh, it was a mansion, had his family there. And, uh, and it literally, Reuben had full reign to do anything that his master would ask him to do. He said, you don't have to have a car. Uh, my garage is filled with cars, five or six cars, bobcats, uh, anything that you might need to do work. And he said, the keys are in all of them, so whatever one that you might need, it's yours. You just go ahead and grab it. 
Uh, you don't need food for you to go get. You, I got a card I'll give you, and uh, you just go to the store, whatever you need for your family, whatever you need for the things that I've asked you to do for my guests, you just go pick out. There'll be no questions about anything. If I need you to do some work for me, for one of my friends that came here, uh, whatever it takes for you to do that. And about halfway through this story, a friend of mine, Mike Alstale, I was telling the story, and he says, I want to be one of those. I want to be a Reuben. And, uh, and we were laughing about it until it dawned on me, we are. We can be a Reuben. And my challenge for you today is, are you willing to be God's Reuben? that you are willing to say, God, whatever it is, I'll do whatever it is you have me do, I'll be taken care of, you already proved that to me, and instead of having the little card and, and having the signet ring that Joseph got from Pharaoh, uh, we have been given the pledge of the Holy Spirit that has made all provisions for us. So in entering into some of these topics today, if we can keep that mentality in mind, if we can keep that, that will have perfect love will drive out this fear that sometimes we're unable to do certain things. I think you'll find these truths as refreshing as equalizing at 12 feet down. Okay? First thing we're going to look at is work. Man, women were meant to work. God designed before the, even the fall, he said, cultivate uh, the land. He basically implied that I have given you a garden. You can look at it, see how it works, learn from it, create from it, and now continue building the garden all the way out from river to river. Just build. It was to, we were designed to work. We were not designed, designed to be still. We were not designed to, I'll get to this, retire. Now, we can retire from a job that pays us a certain way, but we were designed to be active our whole life. It's built in you when you do things and you create. There's a sense of glory that comes out. There's a sense of, of a blessing that when you create something and do something, that there's just something that's neat there, and you can know that that comes from God. That very creativity stems from God as a creator, and everybody was designed to work. But we live in a world that has taught us a whole different system. All of you and I have been squeezed into the world's mold. Everybody, it says nobody is exempt from this. Every man, every woman, every boy, every child is squeezed into the world's mold that says what makes you have value and make you okay is what you possess, what you look like, how you perform, something to that degree. And so we're set out on this course. And our economic world and the suggestion, it says, is to do this. It says what I want you to do and, uh, is I want you to go ahead and get an education so that you can work, gain plenty of money that can be put away in storehouses and, and the little eggs nests over here so that you can rest and recreation at that time. That's what we've been taught. Everybody gets on this path. We just get an education. Let's go ahead so I can work. If I can work, then I can go ahead and rest, and then I can rest, put my feet up, and I can finally re recreate. And by that time, we're 70. We have about four years to rest. And God said that is not the new covenant design. The new covenant design was in all the stages of your life, you will continually learn, create, you will continually make things that you might be able to then give away and bless people and rest and recreate all through the stages of your life. That's how we were designed to live. 
Now, if you've already retired, that's fine. Just don't be idle. Get creating. Ask God to fulfill the desire of your heart and begin to move out there. God says, if, if you work, you'll have plenty. And that work is, there is labor in it. Have you ever, some of you may not, but have you ever gone out and you do a hard day's work and you got sweat on your, your, your body and you're just like, like you, maybe you're digging a hole for a fence post and, and it's kind of hard at first, but when you're all done, there's just a sense that, I, hey, I got that fence put up. I know this is a Sabbath, but I am going to dig fence poles today when I get back because it's warm out. So I think that we need to look at that and look at the different stages and know that work basically has four things why we work. God could have made it so we don't have to work. But I think there's four reasons that we need to understand about work. The number one reason for work, first and foremost of working, is you have been designed to work because of relationships. Primary. The relationships you have, the relationships you have contact with, how you relate to people that you either purchase from or get to purchase from you, it's about the relationship. Second is a priority. Mark 7 says the second thing is you work so that you can help take care of your family. This is your, your mother. Uh, it can be your father. It can be just your family. There's a second thing that we work for. And he said you should even be doing that way ahead of your giving. Third thing is you do work so you can give away. You see somebody in need, you work for that desire. If I see that somebody has a need here, then what I want to do is I want to be able to work so that I can meet that need for that person that might be there. And fourthly is to basically for your own uh, security or to fulfill your own creativity. And so th those are the reasons that we do that. Now our society tells us differently. And our society has it built into us that, that we are to go ahead and work so we can get a bunch of money because the more money you get, the more material things you can get, the happier you'll be. And I promise you that does not work. If there's anything I get to see in my other job is that people that continually make more and more aren't happy. And matter of fact, they seem to be less happy than anybody else. And they have to guard this and, and, and just, it distracts them. But basically... When I was, uh, when I was uh, oh, 2000, year 2000, 40 people in the United States were asked to go over to Amsterdam and we were to be available counsel for uh, 10,000 itinerant evangelists from 230 countries across the world. And in meeting these people, uh, they had one hour and we had one hour to counsel with them. It was literally humbling because honestly, before you, I can say this, they were coming to seek counsel from me for one hour, and they waited years that they knew this was coming, and Billy Graham provided all the travel for all of them, and they would sit one hour with me, and I'm th sitting here thinking, behind, one hour with me. These people are saints. They're, they're angels fear to tread where they go, and they're going to talk to me for one hour. Uh, it was humbling. But one of the things I found out when I visited with them, their trials, their struggles were really struggles that you would see in the New Covenant struggles. They warned us about this. They said, whatever you do, don't get trapped into giving them a whole bunch. And because it will destroy them in many ways that you don't know. Forty of us failed. When you see a need, it's like, oh, I can't, I gotta give them something. So we would, when people weren't looking, we'd give them money and then we'd give them our addresses. 
And the long and short of that was uh, I went back there in, I can't remember what date it was, uh, 2008 or something like Marcy, what was the second date we went down there? Eight, I think, or something. I don't know what it was. But, but we went back there, and many of the problems that we now talk to these people were emotional problems, anxiety, depression. We didn't deal with their emotional problems the first time. They just didn't have a lot of this the first time. We Americans have it because of this whole mentality of what we have and what we don't have and the greed and all this kind of stuff. We created problems for these guys just by what we did. So sometimes it's not necessarily always what you think that you need to be doing. Now, in work, uh, do you want to show that slide up here? In work, there's a balance here, and we're not going to go into it very long, but on the left side is laziness. The Bible is filled with uh, warning against slothfulness, laziness. There's, there's a lion in the streets. I might get eaten. They're always an excuse why they're not going to work hard. But I can't. It's my back. Uh, they're always an excuse where they can't do something. And the scripture are, is very, very clear about laziness. And it's basically also clear about overworking. The Bible says, why in the world do you rise up early and then retire late at night? Do not I give to my beloved even when they sleep? The only reason we rise early and retire late is because we think we have to keep going on and we need this to get us more and more and more. I had a, I had a man, a great guy, but he, he, he worked a lot, very, very good at his profession, and yet in the back of his mind, he had never really told anybody this, but in the back of his mind, he was going to make sure he made a million dollars a year. And he was working towards that. In the process of working towards making a million dollars a year, his family was starting to suffer, and he was losing his relationship with his wife, and it came down to where pretty soon it was pretty much done. And all of the drive pretty much ended that, and one last desperate thing came in and said, I have got to save my marriage. I don't want to lose my marriage. And I said, are you willing uh, to give up your goal and are you willing to invest in your wife and your family as much as you invested in your work? If you're not willing, then go be well. I can help you if you're willing. He said, I'm fully willing. And I said, then we're going to have to cut down about one-third of your work time to invest in your wife. And you're going to have to just ixnay, that means cross off, this goal to make a million a year. And he said, I'm in. Long story, years later, their marriage was a model. Uh, it really was. It was an incredible model. And I said, you know, I, I want to ask you something. I never did ask you, how did you resolve uh, not making, you know, that kind of money? And he said, when I started doing that, I actually hit my million dollars. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get rich if you go ahead and cut down. It just means do what God's asked you to do, investing in relationships first and foremost, and not and have the different priority. So there's a balance that God says that we're supposed to have in relationships. And in that balance, you will find that work is important, it's necessary, it's, it's uh, for us, but it's not the priority of our life. Now, we're going to look at uh, spend or saving and investing. The Bible says, don't lay up for yourself treasures. Uh, Steve read this on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. 
But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Uh, on, 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 on financial principles, just because somebody tells you a principle doesn't necessarily mean that that is exactly the principle you follow for your own life. And, and because there's a lot of uniqueness that, that the relationship of God does that is very, very important. If, if we take uh, Gates, Bill Gates, and we say, you know what, you should be giving all your money away, uh, in, in the numbers that somebody figured out, and they said if Bill Gates gave all of his money away, and what is it, six billion? I can't remember the total number. They said in a few years, so many years, I think it was like seven years, if he would continue earning that money, continue making that money, and just give away what he made, he would double the amount he gave away year by year by year by just being wise with how he did that. So just because somebody tells me to give something away doesn't mean that he's going to tell you to give it away. And so I'm going to give you some principles that the Bible says about these things. All I ask you to do is seek wise counsel. Get somebody that you know that you can watch. They're good stewards with their finances. You've watched them mature, and they, they seem to have good sense about them. And they're generous, and they're a lot of things. Ask them to look into your life and look at these things. We're just going to look at some boundaries here, but don't make it... A, a dead law for you to say, oh, I got to do all this now. Just be available for God to show you what he wants to show you. And it, it's amazing what he will show you. Uh, time out for just a second. For all of you in here, there's a couple things that I am fairly radical on. Uh, and, and I won't give you the, the amount for it. I just tell you that you ought to be extremely generous when it comes to tipping. The greatest tippers in our planet should be believers. People that work relationships and, and uh, work in uh, restaurants, they can't stand being located near a church because people come over there afterwards and they, they buy a $60 meal and they leave them a buck. And this is their livelihood. I, I believe that if anything, and we're going to talk about this the next time because we're going to go into New Covenant giving, I believe that many, many times if you're sensitive enough and your meal costs you $10, you might be tipping 20 It just depends on what God tells you to do. The only reason you won't tip that is because you think you're going to be without if you do it. And God basically says, if you do what I say, I'll open up the windows of heaven. I'll take care of you. I think that they ought to realize, boy, when believers come in here, there's something different. They actually believe in this God. And I, so I encourage you, that's kind of a side note, but I'm very strong on it because I, I literally have a hard time when I watch people at restaurants and I see what they leave and they're believers. And I literally want to go leave a bunch more for them just for the sake of the name of God rather than them. Okay. Uh, in saving, uh, God says to be wise, uh, be careful that you save, Actually, Joseph got his position because he was wise in his saving. Uh, Pharaoh was wise because he saw a man that seemed to be wise, and he's, he called him a man that hears from God. And so he literally hired Joseph, and that's what made Pharaoh prosper, and all of Egypt was at his mercy because 
uh, because Joseph was wise. He took what they made, he put it away because he knew the things were coming. He didn't put it away so he could sit on it, can it, and wait till he died. He put it away because it would be used at a time where he would bless other people, his family included, but he'd bless the people. He even told the people, quit hoarding your grain. Sell it. Put it in, in, uh, in rotation. Get it active. Get it moving around. And we'll talk about that in a second. But he did that because saving is wise. But here's the difference that I want to encourage you. Too many of us take our retirement, our nest egg, and we put that over here, and that's our saving, and we say we can't touch that. Everything else we can touch. All I'm saying is it's wise to get your nest egg. Matter of fact, the Bible talks about it. But it's basically not yours. Just hold it loosely. It's for whatever God and whenever God decides to use it. If you're Reuben, you don't worry about that because you're going to be taken care of. You don't have those needs. You've just put them aside for the master. Master, I put stuff over here and the, some of the things you got that I got some canned food because they said that it's gonna, they're going to be low on, on shrimp because of that oil spill. I just got a whole bunch over here, so when you need shrimp, I've got it already over here and frozen. That's all we're doing with our nest egg. The moment you take ownership and that becomes yours, you will now quiet the voice of God and not be able to hear God in other areas. So saving is good, and, and, uh, but it just says don't lay up your, your treasures where moth and rust and thieves can get at it. I'm going to give you two sayings here. I've said these sayings before up here. It relates to something different. I think these two sayings are absolutely phenomenal, and they're taken from Matthew 6. Your attention will always follow your investment. Whatever you're invested in, will be, you will be given full attention to that, and the majority of the time, your attention will follow your investment. Okay? My dad, before he passed away, he had a little stock that he had uh, been, he had inherited, and he'd get up in the morning before he put his teeth in and everything like that, he'd go check the stock. Where's that stock? I've got to see where the stock is. After breakfast, he would see if the stock had gone up or down. And he literally thought he made or lost money in those two minutes. Uh, and, and, and your interest starts following that. The other one is this. The one you believe is feeding you will become your master. The one you believe is feeding you will become your master. And God says you cannot have two masters. You're going to hold to one and despise the other, or you're going to love one and hate the other. And so sometimes it's real easy if you think somebody's uh, your, uh, your supply, they're the ones that basically are providing for you and not God, they will become your master and you will start doing whatever it is that you think they need you to do in order for you to maintain that income. Now, I think it's good to be kind to people, but God says, I am your Jehovah Jireh. I'm the one that is your provider. I might use somebody to, to go ahead and minister to you but if that person chooses not to minister to you, you don't go without. I'll just choose somebody else to minister to you. They miss out on the blessing. If you're, sales, if you're in sales and a lot of what you do is selling and you've got this one group of people that think, oh gosh, I'll do anything, and it's almost like we'll even uh, do things that are a little bit colored just because they're the ones, you will end up having them master you. And those, those comments, once you understand that, 
that God is your master, you're his Reuben. Basically, you do that which is right and set before you in the, in the ways of God here. Investing. It, it says in the scripture that basically investing, uh, first of all, you're supposed to invest in your family. That's one of the greatest investments. If anybody does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he's, de he's uh, denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. That is right in the middle of the context of true widows and a mother that doesn't have somebody to take care of her. First thing you should be investing is, is those of your family. Second thing in your investing, you ought to diversify. Solomon says, spread them out into a lot of different locations. Don't put things in one spot. Have some diversity out here. There's real reasons for that, too, besides just that, oh, gosh, that ought to be wise if one falls. There's other reasons that have to do with your relationship with God with that. Uh, find good advisors. There are people that study this stuff all the time. And uh, some of you, I may be proven wrong uh, in this, but I'm going to kind of disclose some of my views. I'm not saying they're right, because next week I could be wrong. I think we live in a world that politically and economically, they're trying to frighten us to death. If you just lived in a world where you looked at politically and economically, we would be frightened to death right now. And God says, hey, any authority that's on this planet, I put there. If you resist anybody in this planet that's in authority, you're resisting me. You find yourself warring with me. And economically, he says, these principles are true no matter what. Do you know that we are in this doomsday? You better be taking in just buying gold and silver, and you better look out. We have a plumb line coming down, and all of the economy is going to fall apart. Do you know that that's been going on for about 200 years? And every generation, just like the generation uh, that thinks that, you know, way back, Paul thought Christ was returning back then, and people in Thessalonians stopped working. He said, get to work. I'm in charge of when I come back. Just work. We live out of fear, and we're so frightened by, the, by that. I believe that in, in terms of economically or whatever, diversify, put your money out there, get it out there, and put it in circulation. My wife... Uh, when I first left baseball and I came here and I was, uh, started our business here, we were on support, and there was not a lot of income at that time. And my poor wife, Nancy, would go to the grocery store, and I did not know how miserable she was going to the grocery store because she had no idea. We had a checkbook, and she had no idea what she could spend. And so she'd get to grab something from the counter. I better not get that. That's too expensive. I better, I better get that's not on sale. I better not get that this week. And she about went crazy and that's, at that time, God put on my heart to say, start an envelope system. This was before Burkett started the envelope system. I just said, what we're going to do is we're going to put so much cash in this envelope, in these envelopes, you have one responsibility, spend it all. I don't want to see one penny left in there when it's done. That money is to be circulated in our community and spend it, whatever it is. If we have excess, we'll invite more people over she said that going to the grocery store was so fun after that. She knew just what she had. She had cash. She knew what she could get. That's kind of what God wants us to do is put things in circulation. Scripture says that there are those that uh, said there is one who scatters, yet he just increases all the more. And there's one who withholds what is justly due to put in circulation, but it results only in want. 
For the generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. He who withholds grain, the people will curse him, but blessed be on the head of him who will sell it. And I think that the thing there is that God just says, put things in circulation. Get them moving around. Do things locally if you can, and just keep dollars moving around. I believe if we had people that would quit taking whatever they have, put it in this can over here, lock the can down, then sit on it, and then let it spoil, if we would just go ahead and say, look it, I'll put things over here, it's all yours, God's, but we would put things in circulation, I think you'd find out that we, our society and our culture, people would start having somebody with, nobody with too little and nobody with too much. Next week, we're going to, not next week, when I get back a couple weeks from now, we're going to talk on New Covenant Giving. I think it's going to be mind-boggling what it is. I encourage you to come and to go ahead and say, now, the last thing we're going to do is get in here and ask you for your money. Matter of fact, God doesn't actually ever tell you to ever give out of somebody putting any pressure. When you give the way biblically you're supposed to give, it's almost like the little kids that go, choose me, choose me, can I do it? And we're going to show you how we can begin to do that. So if you would close in prayer with me. Father, we took 2,500 verses on finances and finished that in 25 minutes. Uh, and by the way, I know you know we didn't finish it. And so all we're asking you to do is to take the principles and take the truths that you want to burn into our hearts so that our Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit within us would make some of these things practical. That we would be free in this area. We live in a world that is in such bondage with money and materialism and work, that we would just ask that you would make us a people that are free in this area. There's so much more to go here, Father. And we're going to trust that you, Holy Spirit, when Jesus left, he said, I'm going to give you the Spirit, but he will teach you things and bring to remembrance all that I have talked to you about and more than I ever spoke to you about. Holy Spirit, we ask you to do that in each of our lives as it relates to our finances. And because he said we could ask you that, in his name, we know that we'll receive it. Amen. Hey, you guys. I know Steve mentioned this, but I want to re-mention it again. This Friday night, if you know anybody who hasn't yet encountered Jesus Christ, Friday night or Sunday morning or both, our challenge is there's a bunch of these out in the foyer. We don't want any of those there by the time you're gone we want all those gone and then just ask God to show you where to put them or leave them yesterday I pinned the two of them up down at the place where I work out just hopefully God will just use that and to bring people Friday or Sunday okay let's stand we're going to sing praise God from whom all blessings flow the doxology right let's sing praise God from whom all blessings flow Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And everybody said, Amen. We'll see you Friday night, Sunday morning. Have a blessed day. Grab some postcards.